Good morning, Journey. Hey, we're in Luke chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Grab your notes from inside your bulletin. We're in week 3 of a series at our church this December that we're calling The Gift. We are looking at how Christmas is the gift of God in our world. And we've taken three weeks to kind of look at this gift from a different perspective. We're turning the gift, um, if you could say. The first week we looked at Christmas as the gift to us. From Isaiah chapter 9, God said Christmas will be a gift to you in this way. Last week we looked at God's gift for us. In Matthew chapter 2, we looked at the wise men and we saw how their gift were spiritual symbols helping us understand what they saw Jesus to be. And they were spiritual commitments that helped us understand how we see Jesus. This week, we're going to look at how Christmas can be the gift from us, how we can leverage Christmas to give someone the gift of Jesus and the gift of eternal life and the gift of forgiveness and the gift of peace and the gift of hope and the gift of a second chance. And we learned that in Luke chapter 2 from the shepherds. But before we dig into Luke, let me give you a quick history of him so you know a little bit about him. Luke was a Gentile doctor. You say, what's a Gentile? It's just someone who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. He was a Gentile doctor, the only physician that we know who wrote any of Scripture. And he became a friend and a personal physician to the Apostle Paul. He traveled around with the Apostle Paul on his many journeys and basically kept him healthy so he could keep doing ministry. He was the only biographer of Jesus. Remember, four people wrote books about the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was the only biographer of Jesus in his ministry that didn't personally meet Jesus. Matthew was a disciple. John was a disciple. Mark hung out with Jesus and the disciple. Luke was not. Luke had only heard about him. Probably Luke never even laid eyes on him, only heard about him more than a decade or so after he had died and resurrected. Say, so how can he write a book about him if he never met him? Well, we find out that Luke investigated the claims about Jesus that he had heard and that he had placed his faith in during a two-year stay in Israel, which led him to the research that he recorded in the gospel that's named after him. You say, what was he doing in Israel? He was traveling with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul appeared to hit a stall in his ministry. The Apostle Paul had, had a lot of vision for his life, but he appeared to be stuck because he ended up in prison for two years at a place called Caesarea. Some of you are in here today, and you're in your Caesarea. You say, Christian, what do you mean by that? You feel stuck. You feel stalled. You believed several years ago God had this grand plan for your life, for your marriage, for your kids, for your work, for your retirement, and something has happened and you're stalled. You're stuck. And you're thinking, once I get unstuck, I'll be able to begin to pursue God again, but as long as my life is paused, I can't do anything. Well, Luke was the exact opposite. And what we learn from Luke is that God's pause is never without purpose if you'll seek him diligently. Luke was from Macedonia, present-day Greece. Some people think Luke was from Antioch, present-day Syria. He had probably never traveled to Israel, would never travel to Israel again. But for two years, while serving his friend who was on house arrest, basically in the palace of Herod, Luke decided during that two years, you know, I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I never really met him. I'm going to go make sure it's true. And for two years, Luke traveled around the Holy Land trying to find people who had interacted with Jesus and asked them questions about Jesus. A lot of people believe it was at this time that he first met Mary and asked Mary about the details of her time with Jesus. It was at this time that Luke maybe met people like the shepherds and asked them their details about Jesus in a time where Luke could have kind of put his life on hold and thought, you know what? Until Paul gets out of prison, there's nothing that we can do. In his stall, Luke created a brand new story by pouring into Jesus. So some of you are stalled right now, but pour into Jesus. Say, Christian, I'm stalled in my marriage. Pour into Jesus. Christian, I'm stalled in my career. 
pour into Jesus. Christian, we're at a complete stop in our parenting. Pour into Jesus because God's pause is never without purpose if we will diligently seek Jesus. Luke did that, and we have a book as a result of that that tells us more about Jesus than any other biographer. And in Luke chapter 2, we hear about Christmas. What do we learn? Here's what Luke says. In those days, Caesar Augustus, he was the emperor of Rome, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That was the Middle Eastern territory of Rome at the time. And everyone went to their own town to register. Why were they counting people? So they could know who was supposed to pay taxes and make sure all the money was coming in. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just is they had been told. Hey, let me ask you a question. How much do you love Christmas? Like, is this like the most wonderful time of the year for you? Like, where would you rank yourself on how much you love Christmas scale? Like, if Ebenezer Scrooge was a zero and like Buddy the Elf was a 10, like, where would you land in that, in that how much you love Christmas? Like, are you closer to the Grinch or a Griswold? When it comes to Christmas, where do you land on how much you love Christmas? Because you can know the answer to that based on how much you like Christmas music and how long you've been listening to Christmas music. You can know how much somebody loves Christmas based on their knowledge of Christmas songs. So I thought we'd do a Christmas song quiz today to figure out where on the scale of Buddy the Elf and Clark Griswold down to Scrooge and the Grinch you fall. So here's our quiz today. I need you to play along with it. Song number one, how well do you know Christmas? Here comes blank, blank. Yeah, so you, you got that one. So you know Santa, you're at least aware of that part of Christmas. How about this? Song number two, we dig a little more into secular Christmas. Rudolph the Red Nose. Yeah, he was a reindeer, so you got that one. The third one, if you know this one, listen, you've got all of like American Christmas covered. Um, the third song, Frosty, the... Right, so if you know about Santa, you know about the reindeer, you know about Frosty, like you're doing good. But are, do any of you know anything about the spiritual Christmas? That's like, okay, secular holiday. Let's dig into spiritual Christmas a little bit with this song, Silent Night. Okay, good, at least still good volume there. So we, we know a little bit about that. Let's get... Let's get biblical now in our quiz. Okay, Bible question. If you were listening to Luke 2, you should know the answer. A little town of Bethlehem. We got that. So you got some of the Bible wrapped around it. The last one is the hardest, but it's about our text today too. It's a long answer. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, 
Do you hear what I hear? The Carrie Underwood version of that song is my favorite because let's be honest, she's not much to look at, but she can really sing, right? So like, I, that's, a, that's a great song to listen to. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? You know, that's a great, that's a great question because let me ask you a question. Do you think the people that you work with, do you think the people who live on your street, do you think even all of your family members when they hear about Christmas, hear the same thing that you hear? Do you think they see the same things about Christmas that you see? Does everyone in our community, when they wake up on Christmas morning, are they thinking about the same things? Because that's the question of that song. It's really a great Christmas question. Does everybody know the truth of Christmas like we do? Or are there some who only know Santa and Rudolph and Frosty? Like, does everyone in our city hear and think about Jesus the same way we do at Christmas? Or is there a gap between those of us who know Jesus and those of us who don't? Because there's only one way we can make sure if there is a gap that we eliminate it and we find it in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bible, go back to verse 17, underline it. We're going to read it several times today. Man, if, 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 you, if you don't, try to always bring a Bible or your Bible app to church in a pen because we'll always be studying Scripture. Luke two seventeen says this, when they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. Let's read it again. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. How can we make Christmas in Kansas City in 2017 look like Christmas in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? How can Christmas in Kansas City this year have the same impact in our community that Christmas in Bethlehem did 2,000 years ago? That's the question I want to ask today. And through verse 17, we learn the answer to that question. Two things that happen. How do we make Christmas today look like Christmas then and have the same impact? Number one, you have to really see Jesus. You have to really see Jesus. Have you seen him? Do you see him? Are you aware of him? Look at verse 17 again. Grab that pen. When they had seen him, circle those two words. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. Have you seen Jesus? Because when you see Jesus, it changes everything. And do you know that it's a supernatural revelation to have the opportunity to see Jesus? Like if you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I've seen Jesus, you need to understand you've been given supernatural revelation. If you're in the room and you've seen Jesus, you've been given supernatural revelation. You say, what is supernatural revelation? It's something revealed by God. If you're in the room or if you're watching online today and you have seen Jesus, that's because God has revealed that to you. You have supernaturally had Jesus revealed to you because not everyone sees Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 2, we find a man who had waited his entire life to see Jesus. He'd waited his entire life to see the Messiah. He'd waited his entire life to see if there was going to be any hope for his world and for people after death. His name was Simeon. And we see that eight days after Jesus was born, when his parents took him to the temple to dedicate him, Simeon was there and he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he thanked God because he realized nobody sees Jesus without God. Look at what he said in verses 28 through 32 of Luke chapter 2. If your Bible's laying open on your lap, it's right there for you. If not, it's on the screen. It says, Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms. And he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He said, I, literally, I can die now because I've seen Jesus. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's us, and the glory of your people Israel, that's Jews. Simeon said the Jewish people will see the Messiah, the Savior, as basically their gift to the world, but the Gentiles will only see Jesus if God reveals that to them. So if you're here and you've seen Jesus, it's because you've had a supernatural revelation. If you're here and you've seen Jesus, the answer to this question is yes. Has God ever spoken to you? If you've seen Jesus, the answer is yes. Because you can't see Jesus unless God reveals him to you. So it's a supernatural revelation to have the opportunity to see Jesus because not everyone knows about him. But a lot of us have a hard time believing that. Like, come on, Christian, are you telling me like not, I mean, doesn't everyone know about Jesus? This is not a big deal. This is a cultural thing. No, it's a spiritual thing. I had one of our elementary school students grab me as I came off the stage last week. He was sitting in the second row right there and he was kind of fuming. He's like in fifth grade, I think. He's like, Pastor Christian, I got a question. And I was like, what's that? And he said, how old is the earth? And I always know there's a question behind the question. So before I answer, I said, why do you ask? And he said, well, all the kids at my school are saying the earth is like a billion years old. But, but like the Bible I know says it's only thousands of years old. So like I'm the only kid in my class who believes the earth is thousands of years old. So, but, so like I'm right, right? Like how old is the earth? And I said, man, that's a great question. And I said, actually, the only person who can answer that question is God. He was the only one who was there at the beginning. I said, the Bible gives us the history of about 10,000 years of people. Like if you just add all the dates from Adam to now, the Bible does tell us about 10,000 years of people. But God also created science. So if science says it's a lot older, I guess, it, I guess it could be. I don't really know the answer to that question, but I trust God. God's shown us 10,000 years of history, but God also created all the laws of science. So that could be right too. I, I really couldn't answer his question well. But I do know this. 525 years ago, not one person on North America had ever heard the name of Jesus. I mean, whether the world is 10,000 years old or a billion years old, we have verified history that 525 years ago, no one who lives where we live had ever heard the name of Jesus. You say, Christian, doesn't everyone know about Jesus? Listen, for the vast majority of history, no one who was born where you were born or lives where you live heard about Jesus. No, not everyone knows about Jesus. The sad truth of the world today, according to people who study missions, is there are 1 billion people today living in more than 2,000 people groups who have not heard the name of Jesus and don't have a single word of the Bible translated into their language? It's about 15% of the people alive on planet Earth. One out of seven people in our world has never heard the name of Jesus because it hasn't even been translated into their language. They don't have a single word of the Bible. That was us 525 years ago. That's a sad fact that we're trying to do something about with our missions program. But here's the scary truth. If that's a sad truth, here's a scary truth. There are more than that, I believe, who have heard of Jesus and who do have a Bible in their language, but they still haven't really seen Jesus. That would be some of your friends, some of my friends. Those would be people in our families. Those would be people in our neighborhoods. Those would be people who work at our jobs. Those would be people who their kids play sports with our kids. Listen, they have heard about Jesus, and they do have a Bible in their language, but they've never seen him, and they don't think about him at Christmas like we think about him at Christmas. They're like Job. Remember what Job said after his interaction with God, after a lifetime of thinking he knew who God was, 
but then really meeting him. Remember what Job said in Job 42.5? He said, my ears had only heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Like I had only heard about God, but once I personally experienced him, everything changed. I believe we have people living in our town, speaking our language, many of them who might own a Bible or know where to get one, who have never seen Jesus. Two weeks ago, I came home from Nicaragua after spending a week in Nicaragua. A couple weeks before that, I'd been in Guatemala. And I don't know if it was these back-to-back mission trips in some of the poorest places on planet Earth. I don't know what it was. I've done missions all over the world. But as I was driving home from the airport, I drove into my neighborhood. And as I drove into my neighborhood, I just saw it differently. I mean, after being in the mountains of the most rural, remote places in the world, I drove into my neighborhood and I just, I looked at the monument sign by my neighborhood. I looked at the fountain. I looked at the perfectly mowed grass and I looked at the curbs and the nice paved street and the bushes all in a line and the trees. And I just thought, this, look like a, this looks like a movie set. Like this, can't, like this can't be real. Like I've been all over the world and no one has this but us. Like I felt like I was on the Truman Show. Like if you've, if you've seen that show, I thought, this is not the real world. Every house is nice. Every house has windows. Every house has grass. Most of the yards have a fence. And I just thought, Lord, this can't be real. And I didn't struggle with guilt but I was struggling for perspective. God, how can we have so much and everyone else has so little? I mean, God, the, the least expensive house in my neighborhood, I mean, the governor would live in where we just were. Like, God, give me some perspective. Why are we so blessed? Why do we have so much? And I felt like God revealed in this supernatural blessing. Christian, the only spiritual purpose for one people having so much is so that they can go help other people who don't have any. Like the only perspective you can have driving into your neighborhood, living your life, having understood who Jesus, the only perspective that fits spiritually is you have been given all that so you can share it with people who do not have it yet. It's the only thing that makes sense spiritually that you've been blessed so that you can go be a blessing. And if you know Jesus, you've been blessed so you can go be a blessing. See, it's not accidental. It's not coincidental that you've seen Jesus. It's providential. That means God did it. And God doesn't do things for no reason at all. It's not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's providential. It was a supernatural revelation for a supernatural reason that you might go tell somebody else about it. So we ask this question, how can Christmas in Kansas City in 2017 look like Christmas in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? Well, it has to have some people who have seen Jesus. And then number two, if we read verse 17 again, it has to have some people who spread the word about Jesus. I mean, the impact of Christmas at Bethlehem was the shepherds who saw Jesus and then who spread the word about Jesus. Look at verse 17 one more time. It says, when they had seen him, they spread the word. If you have a pen, underline those three words. When they had seen him, they spread the word. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Hey, do you ever ask yourself, why the shepherds? It's like, why the shepherds? Why would God tell the shepherds? I asked myself that question this week. God, why the shepherds? And I felt like God said this. Christian, go back 30 years ago, right? Pre-cell phone, pre-internet. If Jesus was to be born in America... And I wanted him to be born someplace in America where within 30 days, people would know about it coast to coast and border to border. Christian, where would I have Jesus born? If I needed Jesus to be born in a place where people would know about him coast to coast and border to border, where would I have Jesus be born at? And it hit me. I thought, a truck stop. 
Like you would, you would have Jesus be born at a place where people from all over the world gather and then scatter to go back all over the world. Go back 150 years, a train station, right? You would have Jesus be born. You would do something miraculous at a place where the world came and the world scattered so the world would hear, hear at the initial time and then the world would tell going forward. I thought Jesus would be born at a truck stop. The shepherds were the truck stop of their day, right? You've stopped at a truck stop. You get breakfast, lunch, or dinner there at any time of night or day. You can buy a hat with the name of the state on it that you're in. You can get like a little rabbit's foot and a charger for your phone. I mean, you get all kinds of fun things at a truck stop. Those are interesting places. The shepherds were the truck stop of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. People would travel from hundreds of miles to go worship at Jerusalem. Where would they go before they went up to the temple to worship? They go see the shepherds. They'd have to buy a sheep or a lamb or a goat or a cow. They'd have to buy something to take to worship with them. If the shepherds knew something, they would tell someone who lived in a remote part of the world. If you were traveling from the Middle East carrying all your spices to trade in Israel for all the agricultural goods that they have, you would carry these on donkeys. Who would watch all your flocks and herds while you did your business? The shepherds would. So you would leave your stuff with the shepherds. They were like the innkeepers of the day. Who was the security force? If you had stuff out in the middle of the desert, these traveling bands of shepherds, you could pay them to keep you safe at night from raiders who were coming in. The shepherds were the people who interacted with international crowds as they came and as they went. So God said, I'll tell the shepherds and they will tell everyone else and then the whole world will know. But that's not my experience with shepherds. In my experience, especially growing up in church, like shepherds were the last ones to the party. You know, I grew up in a traditional church where every Christmas, like there would be a little Christmas play and every kid in the ministry got to like dress up and be a part of the Christmas play, right? Like the kids who could sing got to sing. The kids who could talk got the speaking parts. The pretty kids got to be angels. And then everyone else like me got to be shepherds, right? I mean, like if you grew up in a church like that, you understand. Like even the new kid could be a shepherd. Like they just had plenty of sticks and they'd be like, you know, here's your staff. Here's your headband. Here's a towel. Like you're a shepherd. Like just go stand up there so your mom and dad and grandma and grandpa can take a picture. Anyone could be a shepherd. Like they were just the extras. Show up last minute. Go stand with your stick. Anyone can be a shepherd. But that's not the Christmas story. In Bethlehem, the shepherds didn't just stand in as extras. Like they weren't just part of the scenery. They weren't the last ones to show up to the party. They weren't extras. Instead, they were extraordinary messengers about the birth of Jesus. It wasn't like God said, here's your staff, here's your headband, here's your towel. Like, here, here go stand because this will look cooler 2,000 years when people do a nativity in the road. It'll look cooler if there's some shepherds. God said, no, you're going to be vitally important. I need you to see and spread the word. I mean, think about it. The angels only told one group of people. I mean, think about it. If you're sitting in God's boardroom and God says, okay, we're going we're gonna to announce the most important thing ever. We can only tell God, one group of people. Who would you say to tell? Got to announce the most important thing in the world. We got one shot at this. We're going to tell one group of people and then we're just going to rely on them to tell everyone else. Who would you tell? God chose the shepherds and the shepherds told everyone else. That included a guy named Luke many decades later. And it's interesting, when you read the story of Luke, it's filled with the story of people who told people. Why? Because that's how he found out. You know, Luke was the only non-Jewish author in the New Testament. Of the 27 books of the New Testament, only one of them was written by a guy who wasn't Jewish. His name's Luke. But he wrote nearly one-third of the New Testament in Luke and in Acts. 
You say, man, why would a guy who'd never even met Jesus, why would a guy who wasn't even Jewish, why would he spend so much time detailing what he had learned? I think he had a passion to tell people because he was told. And he thought, you know what? If nobody told me, I would have never known hanging out in Greece or Syria where he was from. So I have to make sure and tell other people too. Why? There's a broken world who has an answer named Jesus. Someone told me, now I have to tell somebody else. In what looked like a stall in his life, in what looked like a pause in his life, and what he could have complained about, saying, God, you're going to waste two years of my life sitting outside a prison cell. No, Paul thought, I don't, uh, Luke thought, I don't know why I'm stalled right now, but I'm going to take this stall and I'm going to pour into Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, I'll learn something that can help me or somebody else. You know, a few weeks before Christmas, two years ago in Houston, there was a mounted police officer that went by the name of Officer Herreron and his horse, Charlotte, who were just patrolling the streets of Houston. She had been a police horse for four years. He had been a part of the mounted force for two years. And while he was just patrolling the streets of Houston a couple weeks before Christmas, something startled the horse, and she backed up real quick into oncoming traffic, and she got hit by a cement truck, and it broke her hip, and it broke her leg. Threw Officer Herrera on off. He wasn't hurt badly, but he had to go to the hospital, but he refused to go to the hospital until somebody could come be with his horse. A bystander who was watching what had happened took this picture after Charlotte had been hit and Officer Herrera was thrown. And they took this picture of this officer who laid by his horse for more than 90 minutes, soothing her, his broken horse, his scared horse, making sure that she was going to be okay until animal control could get there and sadly have to euthanize her. He would not leave until another officer came and took his spot laying down beside his horse because he knew she was broken and she was scared. You know, this picture went viral a couple years ago when it got sent out. Everyone from animal lovers uh, to police lovers commenting on this. But if you get deep enough into the thread, you start seeing people post stuff like, I wish I had one friend like that. I wish someone would do that for me. You start seeing people who saw themselves in the picture, broken and afraid, and in need of a friend. You see, here you see a horse broken and afraid, but not alone. Because a friend said, I'm not leaving her until I know she's at peace. You know, how many people in Kansas City care about people the way that officer cares about that horse? I mean, how many tears will we shed? Right? We're an emotional people. We like animals in this country. How many tears are we going to shed for animals we'll never meet? Have our heart move for them while ignoring all the broken and scared people who work at our jobs, who live in our homes, who live on our street, whose kids play sports with our kids? You see, the reality of life that Luke wrote about is this. Every individual has a terminal brokenness named sin. All of them. They're broken, they're afraid, and they're alone. Every person that we know and every Christian has a life-saving medication named Jesus. The question is, are we going to come alongside the broken and afraid people in our life and put our arm around them and say, you know what, I'm with you. I'm with you till you're at peace. I'm with you till you can get back up on your feet. Hey, I, I'm with you. I realize you're broken and afraid, but you are not alone. You know, as we approach Christmas, we have the opportunity to do that. Because if you have really seen Jesus, you look at yourself as someone 
who's still probably broken, who's still probably afraid, but who never feels alone. If you've seen Jesus and know him like that, you want to spread the word to others who need him as well. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason at Christmas time, people are open to that invitation. People who might shrug off you trying to come next to him in life at Christmas time are welcome to it. Every single parent you know at Christmas time this year would love someone to see them, put their arm around them and say, Hey, I got you. I love you. I'm with you. Every person in our life whose parent has passed away in the last year to five years, I promise you at Christmas time, want someone to come alongside them and just say, Hey, I see you. I'm with you. Hey, I know you're broken. I know you're afraid, but you're not alone. I'm not going to leave. Say, Christian, why is it so important that we invite people at Christmas? Because we live in a world that's broken and afraid, but it doesn't have to be alone. And if we've seen Jesus, we have to spread the word about him. So here's my challenge to you. Then we're going to pray and we're going to leave. And in a week from now, it'll be Christmas Eve and we'll get ready to celebrate. But let's bring Jesus into the midst of it. If you've seen Jesus, spread the word about him. How? Four things. Number one, begin to pray for who you'll personally invite to experience Christmas at Journey with you. Listen, social media invites are great. The note cards that you're handing your Starbucks barista, those are great. But I'm talking about a phone call, a text, an interaction with somebody personally inviting them to be a part of Christmas with you. Number two, personally invite a friend or family to a Christmas worship service that you'll attend. So don't just invite them to service. Invite them to service with you. It looks like this. Number three, host them. Host them at the service that you attend. Wait for them in the parking lot. Show up at the same time. Get them their hot chocolate. Take a picture with them at the photo booth. Save seats for them. Sit with them. Host them. Be kind of their spiritual parent this Christmas season. And then finally, number four, celebrate with them. If you have any friends or family members who make spiritual decisions at Christmas, celebrate with them. If you go to our church, you know I'm going to present the gospel. I'm going to invite people to respond to Jesus moving in their hearts. And I'll ask them to raise their hands so I can pray for them. I ask people to, to close their eyes and to bow their heads. And everyone does that. But I want you to be aware. If you have a friend with you, just be aware of what's going on in their spirit. So you're asking me to peek. Not really, but maybe. I just want you to be aware of your friend. I just want you to be aware. And if you sense them moving, just be aware so you can celebrate with them. Man, when somebody says yes to Jesus, the Bible says an angel is dispatched from heaven to celebrate and an angel is dispatched from hell to steal the seed. Jesus taught that in the parable of the sower. So as friends, we can help comfort that vulnerability by saying, man, that's awesome. I'm considering this year asking people as they raise their hands to say, hey, if you're here with a friend or a family member, would you just reach over and pat their leg so they know you're making a decision? It'll mean a lot to them. I want you to know so that after the service, you can celebrate with them. Go get their t-shirt for them. Go fill out their card for them. Help us, help your friend move towards Jesus in a powerful way. You say, Christian, man, that sounds really strategic. Do we need to be that strategic at Christmas? Well, let me ask you, were the angels strategic in who they told? I mean, it seems like there was a strategy involved there. They told people who they knew after they saw would spread the word. And because of that, Luke found out. And because of that, guess what? 525 years ago in Lee Summit, there wasn't a Lee Summit and there wasn't a Christian in North America. But somebody who saw spread the word. And here we are. So here's the deal. Here's your staff. Here's your headband. Here's your towel. You're a shepherd. Like, go. Here's your staff. Here's your headband. Here's your towel. You're a shepherd. Go. Go and tell people 
what you've seen at Christmas so they can see it too. We pray with me this morning?